Hello and welcome to Phoenix Thriving, UW Green Bay's student success podcast. I'm your host, Vince Lowry, the UWGB Director of Student Success and Engagement. On this show, you're going to hear from faculty, staff, and students. They're going to give you stories and advice about success in and out of the classroom. But you're also going to hear about struggle and even failure, because those are both stops on the road to success. Our goal, help you achieve your goals in the classroom, make connections in the community, and get the most out of your college experience to be a Phoenix Thriving. Here we are, episode eight. I still can't believe I have a podcast. Uh, Of course, everybody has a podcast now, so I guess it stands to reason that I would have launched one. Um, And we have another special episode. Last week, we brought on Kevin Gannon from Grandview University, um, sort of talking to us about what's going on in the trenches and the classroom and higher ed. And today's episode, uh, we get the administrative perspective from UWGB's seventh chancellor, Michael Alexander. Chancellor Alexander joined UWGB a year ago as provost and was recently named chancellor. And there's so much that uh, we're going to cover today. Let's just jump right in. And so, uh, Mike, pull up a chair and uh, tell the Phoenix Thriving listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, good to see you, Vince, and um, uh, thanks for having me on the show today. So um, I, I guess, you know, my background is as a musician. Um, I, 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 I went to school uh, to become a conductor uh, and got very lucky and uh, ended up, uh, after getting my doctorate at UW-Madison, uh, I, I was able to become the conductor of the Georgia Symphony Orchestra in Atlanta. And the same time I did that, I got my first job in higher education at Kennesaw State University, uh, which was um, in the suburbs of Atlanta and grew uh, by by over 10,000 students in the time that I was there, 11 years I was there. And I went to Atlanta um, uh, trying to be a famous conductor, I guess, and left there realizing that I really wanted, I, I, I loved that. And I still love to conduct and I still love music, but I realized that my passion was really in higher education and in thinking broadly about how we educate students and how or, uh, how universities can evolve into the future. And I had a stop after Atlanta in uh, the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, Colorado, uh, and then uh, I directed the School of Music there, which was a, another great opportunity. And now here in uh, in Green Bay, where I'm very proud to be here and uh, uh, love the work that I'm getting to do and the people I get to work with. Okay. Well, I want to actually go right to your experience as a conductor. And when uh, you you interviewed for your, your new role on campus, you had drawn comparisons between your leadership style and your work as a conductor. And uh, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're going to talk a lot about COVID-19 as, as I have with all of our guests, um, because the show was born out of COVID-19 in a lot of ways. Um, how have the changes wrought by COVID-19 impacted your perspective on leadership, uh, your leadership philosophy, and uh, that philosophy in action? So I, I think mostly it's reinforced it. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the, you know, I guess broadly what I could say is that, you know, you, I think you learn really fast as a music director that, um, that you can't control much. And to the extent you try to control it, you actually get in the way. Um, you can provide overall direction. You can support those that are trying to get the job done. Um, you can make sure that you're seeing where there are sort of breaks in the chain and how to repair them. 
um, and you can you can make sure that the overall direction that the organization is going is appropriate. Um, and I, I always joke, I mean, I make, always make the analogy, right? You know, as a conductor, you make no sound. It's very similar as a chancellor or a provost, right? The way, you know, as I came here, like you, you, you really empower those around you um, to use their expertise to help achieve the mission that you're on. And I, I think this, this crisis has really, you know, largely reinforced that notion, right? That um, at the time this happened, um, I mean, I, I, I think there's certain moments in your life you're never going to forget. I think one of the moments I will never forget is I think three or four days prior to that, I had just done my interview to become chancellor. And we learned that there was the case in at, in Milwaukee of a COVID positive case in Milwaukee. And, you know, we sat down as cabinet and the they, you know, one of the things that happens, they looked to me as the provost and said, OK, what are we going to do? Um, and, you know, and the only thing I could think to, to do at that point was, you know, I was really fortunate to have the people on the cabinet that were with us and, and, and Chancellor Van Grunsman, uh, who was amazing in her leadership. And, you know, I, basically we just all agreed we have to trust our faculty to do this, right? We have to trust that we can put the health and safety of our students, faculty and staff first, and we have to close down campus right away. And we trusted our faculty to make that happen and our staff. And they did it. Um, you know, was it perfect? No, uh, but it was it was it remarkable? I, I think in every way it was a it was a true testament to what it means to be at a place like Green Bay and to what it means as an administrative unit to trust the people who are doing the work. Yeah, yeah, and it, and I think it it really has. You know, you, you talked this morning in the coffee break. Uh, you used the phrase uh, "control the controllables, control what we can control." Um, a popular phrase. I, I saw Aaron Rodgers use the same phrase today, so maybe he was tuning into yeah. our uh, tuning into our coffee break. I'm uh, sure it, <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely a phrase I use a lot. I think I may have used it in the last podcast, and and because I think it's really easy in in times of of crisis to sort of get caught up in those things that are outside of your control. And as you said, there there are a lot there are people all over campus who've really done some amazing things to try and pivot the institution to our uh, our current remote situation. So so you've been at UWGB a little bit less than a year. Obviously, that time was disrupted now by by COVID nineteen. What impressed you most about about the institution uh, when you came here? And now that you again have been here almost a year. So I think that, you know, I, the, the, I think the main reason I really wanted to come here is because, uh, you know, when I read the mission and vision of the university, I, it, it just is it's totally in alignment with, I believe, what I believe a regional comprehensive university should be. Um, it is it is the best mission and vision statement I have read. Um, it, and I, I think it gives us a moral and ethical imperative actually to do the work that we're doing um, that it, it goes beyond um, uh, it, it goes beyond education right I think that we are really using education as a vehicle to make our community and our region a better place um, and and you know when I got here I, I knew I liked the mission and vision I had met a few faculty and some administrators when I came to interview and I um, but I, I, I didn't yet know sort of the culture of the campus, right? Because it's one thing to have a mission, it's another thing to actually enact it, right? 
Um, and I, and I, my sense when I got here is that, that, you know, that we were just starting to dabble in the idea of what this meant, right? That, and what I've been so amazed and so impressed with is just how fierce this campus is in its belief that what we're doing is the right thing and we're doing it for the right reasons. And you can feel that on the campus. Uh, and I think you're starting to see it in the results that we're getting in our retention, our recruitment rates, in our in the way our students are interacting with us, in the way we're connecting to the community. Um, I think we're be we're becoming the right kind of presence that a regional comprehensive should be in its community. It's it sh we should be a resource. We sh we should be a source of pride. And and I I'm so thrilled that the campus uh, is unified behind that mission and that's that is not easy to have happen that's a rare occurrence for i, I mean i always joke you know when you work in a university it's akin to to uh you know to herding cats right you have to enjoy the idea that you're that you're that you're hurting all these disparate things right and and we have a lot of cats that are running in the right direction is what i would say sure and i, I like that word fierce i haven't heard that used uh that word used to describe but i think it i think it's a, i think it's an accurate one i feel that in the meetings that i'm in the the interactions that i have with colleagues and also with students um i think that's a really good way now a really good way to think about it now obviously you come in as chancellor now you know make the transition from provost to chancellor you have priorities i'm 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 curious you know we there is another there is something on the other side of covid-19 right we can all kind of you know I, I think i hope i'm not speaking overly optimistically when i here's but there of course there is another you know something on the other side of covid-19 i'm curious as you sort of chart the institution's course and think about the institution's course what are the the have your priorities changed or do have they had to be adapted at all to navigate COVID-19 and then get onto the other side of, of the pandemic? So I, I don't think, um, I don't think my priorities have changed because I think the priorities uh, that I set um, or that I have, I, I, um, I, I feel in, in some ways, they, the speed with which we have to enact them has maybe changed. Um, and, and that's, I think the biggest difference is that um, I, you know, I, as I, I talked in the interview, I think that, you know, one of the, the things that I think we have to solve in our community, uh, and certainly at the university is that we have a community that is rising together, right? And I, I mean, to, to, not to be flippant with that phrase rise, which I know is, is, is symbolic of the Phoenix, right? But, but I, I think it's, there, it's true, like there, that we have to find a way for our whole community to move forward together. And I think that the, the 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 coronavirus has really, it's you know shined a light and exacerbated a lot of the inequities um, that are present across the across the world and you know in our country, in our state and certainly in our region, right? And that we have to we have to speed up the process of making sure that that we are we are providing opportunities for all those that want an education to be able to get one. Um, and to be able to use it to influence and, and make the community a better place. Um, and it, it, we just have to do that faster. Um, uh, and, and the other priorities, um, I think are similar. Uh, the speed with which we now, I think, have to make sure that we are working in conjunction with our fellow institutions in the UW system, uh, with, the, with our community partners, 
you know, as the economy is going to struggle for a while, it's going to become more important that we're even more collaborative. Um, no one can do this on their own. We're going to need help and we're going to have to help others. Um, and I think those are two big things I would probably say uh, uh, through this. And, I, and also I would say that you're right. I think at some point we are going to come out of this um, and making sure that we're in a position to lead that is, is really important for the university. Yeah, there's a really interesting symmetry there between your first point and uh, the commentary offered by Kevin Gannon, our, our host and uh, our guest in the last week's episode. He talked a lot about how COVID-19 has laid bare some of the issues in higher ed, some of the inequalities that exist in higher ed and how you know now is the time to to recognize them and to double down on our efforts to to resolve them. And, and as he's written in his book, that's in large part, uh, you know, a ref, itself a reflection of larger societal issues and why it becomes that much more important that that we in higher ed begin to ta tackle those issues head on um, and to promote uh, our our mission and to uh, redouble our commitment to access. So yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think that the the other piece too that seems to be running throughout everything I read is this point about speed of change. We all knew higher ed was changing. Um, and, and as we entered, really, even, you know, we're entering this period, you're coming in, um, everybody looking around higher ed is writing about change. You know, some people want to write the obituaries of higher ed. You know, some people want to uh, look at, you know, larger issues, um, you know, think, well, it's, things are going to change drastically. But I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, you know, because you've, you picked up on the point of transformation there. How do we retain our commitment to personal and societal transformation, the, the personal and societal uh, transformational power, really, of higher ed and balance that with the economic issues, right? These two issues tend to be sort of talked about, you know, Chris Gallagher talks about it as a private good and a public good um, and how they're talked about in, often in adversarial terms, I'm, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts. How do we how do we balance that, right? How do we how do we make sense of those seemingly contradictory goals in this period of change? Yeah. So I think first of all, I, I you know I think there's a difference between higher education changing and uh, higher education dying, for lack of a better word, right? Like there's always going to be higher education, right? Like that is that's never going to change. That that's throughout the history of the world, right? There has been. I mean, it hasn't always looked like college, right? Uh, I mean, you know, but there's there's forever been people have always wanted to learn, uh, and I think one of the things that we've that that one of the problems we've created through institutions is that I think we've begun to believe that the only place learning can occur is within the walls of an institution. And I think that has changed. Uh, so, I, you know, again, I, I don't, I, I've said this many times, so I don't want to be too repetitive, but, you know, I, I feel that you, you used to go to college because it was a source of knowledge. In other words, you could not find that knowledge. You had to go to the university to, to literally be able to talk to the expert who can teach you this thing, right? Now, you don't necessarily have to be at the, at the it, it's, you know, there's the information in general is available anywhere instantly. And students are used to being able to access it, right? So to the extent that we still view the college experience the same way it was, I think will we'll cause how fast the institutions are gonna change. Um, and, 
that being said, then the, the second piece of this that you're talking about is how the economics, um, both of how a university runs, uh, the economics in society, and our ability to um, to provide a transformational experience for students is also is is tied into that, right? So, I and I this you know students I think um, they first of all they need experiences that um, that they can get that are outside of them being able to pick up their phone and Google it, mm-hmm. um, and that's the power that we have as an institution, right? And that's enormous power, right? We have the people here who can help someone not just know what to, you know, the, how to type into a Google search, but how to use that Google search in a way that can really um, change the world, that can really change their circumstances, change the circumstances of their community. Um, they, they, I mean, you know, learning by doing, I know that's, a, that's been said a lot, but I think more important than learning by doing even, it's, it's, it's learning by, um, by, by experiencing, right? That you're having an experience that causes you to understand how to interpret that information. Um, it also allows for dialogue. And I think that's also really important in a time when we're, you know, we're becoming more and more polarized. I think higher education has a really important role here to be able to bring a safe place for dialogue to occur. Right. And I think that's also really crucial that you can you can it, it allows for conversations to have in a safe place that are that are vital so that when students leave the institution, they're they're civically engaged. Um, they're able to have difficult conversations in an open manner. Um, that's, I think, the new learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that solves some of the economic problem that you're talking about, um, which and I, I could talk for another hour and I don't have mm-hmm. enough time on the show. But I but I think that that, it, that if you, it depends on how you view education. Right. And and that's, I think, part of what we have to do to help bridge that gap. Yeah, and I think that's why you know I love Gallagher's uh, work uh, because he he sort of he charts a path through that public and private good contrast to say no, in fact these are complementary. Students are going to benefit, right? The private individual is going to benefit from experiences. He doesn't use the phrase, but he's talking about high impact practices um, that are going to help them think about how to integrate their learning and to apply that learning to new contexts based upon the experiences that they have, the guidance they receive from instructors, you know, experiences that push them outside of, of the classroom. And I think, to, you know, personally, that's what for me exciting over the last few years at UWGB is the way in which we're moving in that direction, um, you know, trying to really trying to be an innovator in, in that regard. Um, because I think when people start to see that, I mean, to your point, when people start to see that outside of the university, whether it's a prospective student, a community, a business leader, their perspective on higher education begins to change as well, right? And they realize that higher ed is deliver already delivering what they're looking for, already providing the experiences that they're looking for. Um, so I, I, another philosophical question for you that turns into a practical question. Um, it's often said in higher ed that retention is everybody's job. You've certainly said that. I know I've said that. Um, it's said frequently around uh, the halls of UWGB. Now, I guess the halls of Zoom, um, as we all <laughs> virtually 
Um, but this boils down to a, a philosophy that everybody plays a part in student success or the word we use on the show thriving. Um, but what does that look like in practice and how do we win over doubters? And I think the, these two questions are actually related because that sort of old, frankly, somewhat, uh, you know, sort of outdated version of higher ed, right? The sort of the go get knowledge, right? That, that's kind of, I think, still standing in the way to a degree of this idea that uh, everyone does have a part to play, right? Because if you're delivering knowledge, there's no, you know, well, no, I just deliver the knowledge. I'm, 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 students are passive. I deliver the knowledge and we move on. But both, both my previous question and our conversation about those issues and this one about retention is everybody's job gets to the heart of, no, everybody does have a part to play because higher ed is more, it's holistic. So how do we get people on board? How do we get more people on board this idea? Certainly we have a lot of staff and we do have some faculty rock stars in this area, but how do we push this this issue further? How do we push this boulder uphill? Hmm. So I, I think there's there's a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, in, in in practical terms, I mean, there's some simple things that we can do, right? I mean, uh, that we're doing. And I think again that the that the the, the coronavirus in some ways has has helped us to see some of these issues that you just described. And I think therefore, when people can see it, it's easier for them to understand the role they can play in fixing it, right? Um, uh, but I, I think it's it's the idea that that you know that you're teaching in essence the whole person. Right. That uh, that and it's not just the teacher. It is it is it's the it's the faculty member. It's the staff member. It is any administrator. It's 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 that we're a community. Right. And as a, and as a community, we support each other. Um, and that support could look differently at different times. It could take different different forms. Um, and some of this is the idea of uh, of proactive um uh, and I, I, I don't like the word intrusive because it just has a different connotation to me. I know everybody calls it like an intrusive retention or intrusive advising. I, I don't feel it's intrusive. I just feel it's proactive, mm -hmm. right? That, that, you know, the, the difference is that you, you sense a problem uh, and you wait for the problem to show up. And after it's there, you then say, what are we going to do about the problem? Mm -hmm. I, I think the future in higher education and education in general is to say, here's the problem that's going to happen. We have to fix it now before it becomes a problem. Um, and it's, I sort of use it similar to the way, you know, medicine is sort of moving and I'm certainly not a medical doctor, but you know, it's the idea of preventative medicine versus reactive medicine. Right. Um, and I think that's the role that everybody could play. It's, it's how we as a campus communicate. So you may not be able to fix that individual problem. Right. But there's a difference between just saying, I can't fix that problem. And then moving on with your day, and taking a second and saying, you know what, I, I know I can't fix this problem, but I, I know I need to report it to someone who can. Uh, and then that person has to then say, okay, I'm gonna fix this problem. And that person may take a similar issue and send it right back you know, from a different student to the person who's an expert in the other way who sent the previous problem to them. But we have a, we have a community of experts here who can work together to solve all these, you know, any issue that a student has or any support that a student has to be able to keep moving forward in their education. And the last thing I'll say is that uh, I think one of the things I learned in higher education is everybody loves to use the word my student. Um, and and I, I frankly don't like that at all. I, I'll just be blunt. I, I don't think it's, it's never your student. It's always our student. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really hard for me as a faculty member to to accept, 
Like I took total ownership, I felt, of my students. Like I just, I, I wanted to do everything for them. I was so passionate about their success. And I started realizing that I was ignoring those who were not my students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, I don't think I was even necessarily helping my students because I was not letting others in to be able to give them the support they needed. And I think those are the, some of the things we can do to keep improving in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, you sort of, you stopped yourself from using the word intrusive, but then it acknowledge, you acknowledge it's out there. And I think that is sometimes the challenge is that there are people who hear the word intrusive and they immediately bristle because it their their associations with the word they, it becomes something else in their minds and you know I as you were talking through the sort of the, the medical analogy I was thinking you know do we want to be the emergency room or do we want to be the general practitioner who's constantly making sure our patients are healthy and if something something seems a little amiss we're then referring them out to the specialist, right? The the ear, nose, and throat doctor, right? The foot doctor, that you know, sort of going right down the line, um, because I think that is that is the key. This this notion that you know we're all kind of together um, in this, and, and and so much of the challenge, I mean, personally, that I see is that a lot of times just people don't have the information about who to turn to, right? Where do I go? Something doesn't seem right. I don't know. I want to do something, but I don't know don't know where to turn. Yep. And I think that's where, you know, I'm, I'm proud on our campus. I think one of the things that we've learned is the power of GBOSS, uh, which is <laughs> yes. our version of this, right? So, yep. so there, there has to be, there, we've, we have experts who know how to route anything on the university. And one of the things that we've been really successful with on the, because of COVID-19, right, is that we, we sent all questions to GBOSS. And the students started to figure that out and they could route it quickly and we've been able to respond fast. And I think that your point's really exactly right, Vince. Like it's that it's that it's you can't know everything on campus, which you can know it. You can you can remember GBOSS, right? It's it's there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. We sort of, you know, I I talk at length about how students don't know how to navigate college, the sort of the concept of hidden curriculum, you know, exacerbated in particular for first gen students. But I think oftentimes, and certainly this was the case for me early on in my career, I sort of lived in a in this like vacuum where I didn't really know a lot about what was going on on campus. So there were all kinds of hidden curricula that that affected me and my ability to 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 support students. But yes, everybody knows GBoss. When in doubt, GBoss, Alyssa Warpinski and her team will uh, will will route uh, students to the right place and as needed route faculty and staff um, to the right place. Um, now, I, I, I want to ask, and I'm kind of pick up on this because it's something I've heard you talk about. Um, certainly, there's a there is there are unknowns with COVID-19, but um, the enrollment picture right now looks really good for UWGB. I mean, the trajectory given a lot of trends in higher education, things look really good headed into 2020, 2021. Um, you've only been here a year, but certainly you've been thrown in, you know, I don't want to say thrown to the wolves or thrown in the fire, but thrown into the COVID-19. Um, what do you where where do you point or you know to to help explain why we've been so successful in this regard? How the institution I think has um, has really been able to thrive in the face of some of these challenges. What, what do you attribute that to? Well, so first of all, I I would only say that I I don't know that we've that we've uh, I'm not sure how to use the right uh, verb here. I don't know that we've thrived just yet. <laughs> 
Sure. Right? I think that the early indications are that we are pointing very much in the right direction, but there's still a ton of unknowns between now and the start of fall semester, right? So, uh, but yes, we have put ourselves in a really great position. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, uh, you know, one is I, I really do believe that uh, that this campus it has it sort of has resiliency in its DNA. Um, it you know it, there, and I and I, I know I talked about this in the first coffee break that we that we had, and and I, I feel like we sort of have a chip on our shoulder, which is a, in, in a good way. Like you know that 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 there's a little bit of um, we're going to do this, and you're not going to stop us. Mm. Um, and, and I think that is the right attitude that a university has to have. In other words, that we're, you know, I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not big on catchphrases and slogans and all sort of stuff, but, mm. you know, like in the idea that we're on a mission, right? That we're, that this is, um, that it is true like that. And I think that, that, that the campus believes that. And I think at any point it feels to me like I've seen in the last, since I've been here and what I could read from what's happened prior to me being here, Every time there's a roadblock put in front of the university, the university just finds a way to walk over it. Um, and I think that's sort of in our DNA. That's helped. I think secondly, you know, that I do think we have a whole lot of people who care. Um, and I don't think that's unique to our campus. I, I think in any campus you have people who care. Um, but I, I, I think that that that, that skill matters in times like this, right? It's, it is, it's making that extra phone call. It's, it's answering that extra email. It is taking that extra step when a student says, yeah, you know, I'm really struggling right now, or I don't, you know, um, it, it is, it's, those, those things really matter. And then the last thing I would say is that, um, I, I think recruiting is a cumulative effect, right? So I think one of the things that I, I was always amazed when I started my career is that, you know, it feels as if when you go out and recruit to your program, when you recruit students, right, that you feel like you should do recruiting for a year and the very next year you should see a bump in recruiting. And and I don't think it works that way. I, I think that you build a relationship with a student over time. And I think that's what we've done now for quite a few years at Green Bay that's now starting to really take effect, right? That we've started talking to students from the time they're in middle school, right? all the way through high school, they they become our student or they go to NWTC, we still talk to them. Uh, and we're, we continue this dialogue, this idea that education happens throughout your life. Um, and because I think we believe in that and because we are doing that now more and more to understand it's not just that we're always gonna have a big segment of our population that's 18 to 22 year old students, that's core, right? But that, you know, a huge portion of our population now is pre-18 and is post-22, right? Mm -hmm. And that that, that breadth um, allows us to be, it's, it's, you know, it's sort of like only, I don't know how to say this a better way, but we have a, a broad portfolio in our, uh, and so it, it, it sort of buffers us against some of the challenges that we might face uh, moving forward because we're thinking so holistically. Yeah, and I, I, I think I, if uh, all of our listeners are going to go out and buy his book by the time this episode's over, but Chris Gallagher, again, talks about this idea of, of lifelong learners and how you want to try to tap into people at different phases. I got to read it. 
It's I'm fantastic. Just, okay, it's I'll fantastic. check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I think if we're if you're looking for an admin summer read, you know, the you know, if anybody has some thing, you know, extra time on their hands this summer, it's definitely worth a read. But it, to echo your point, I mean, that idea of people who care, you know, that's sort of been under the surface now for a while. It's been at UWGB, but it seems like COVID nineteen has sort of brought that now out for everybody to see and brought new people to the table. Um, some of the emails I've gotten, the conversations I've had with faculty, staff, and students. Um, and, and even Kevin Gannon, who I spoke with, with, uh, last week, he and I both went to James Madison. We talked about how that culture of caring existed there and how really rare that was then. And even today, you know, it's, it, you have a lot of institutions that feel like they're getting pulled in lots of different directions, but if you can hang on to the heart, right, if you can hang on to your, 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 the soul of the institution, if that's what drives it, that's, what's going to make the difference. And that's, what's going to keep come if people keep people coming back and generations to come back right and and siblings to come back that that's such a great sign so uh well chancellor alexander don't go anywhere we've got three more questions to ask and then we'll we'll let you go So every guest that, uh, that appears on Phoenix Thriving has to answer three questions before we wrap up the episode. First question, time machine question. If time machines existed and you could violate the first rule of time travel, don't interact with yourself and go back in time and give yourself advice on your first day of college classes, what would you tell yourself? Well, I, I, I don't, you know, uh, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, uh, um, but uh, don't worry about your grades. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, at the end of the day, that's not why you go to college. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you go to college to learn and to grow. Um, and the grades, it's that that's, uh, you, you, if, if you're learning and you're growing, you're going to be okay. Um, and I think that I wish you know, I I, I, I I was joking about this, but you know, I, I think at times it, in in my in my life, my goal was to get a ninety, right? Like to, to, to do just enough to get an A. Um, and, uh, and and now I look back at that and say, man, that was really the wrong way to look at this, right? That that wasn't the point. The the point was that you love the subject that you're studying, right? And you you want to get the most out of that. It's such a rare opportunity to be in college to immerse yourself in learning. And that if I could go back and tell my 18 year old self, that's what I would tell myself. Uh, just, just love the experience and love the opportunity you have to just completely immerse yourself in learning. Yeah. And I, I and I, I think that's such a great point, right? It focuses on, on the process, right? We, we get so caught up, you know, I'm a big baseball guy. Baseball is a sport where people easily get caught up in stats and, um, it, the stats will come if you focus on the process, right? If you can just shift the focus and learn, the GPA will come as long as you focus on the journey to get there. And 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 maybe you don't achieve your goals, right? But it's, sometimes it's that setting the benchmark that creates the undue pressure. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's such an important point for our listeners to hear the chancellor of the university say, right? That I would go back and tell myself, don't focus on grades. I love that. Uh, College is about connections too, and I'm and I'm guessing we're going to kind of spin off of your the answer you just gave. But what was the most meaningful connection that you made with a peer, with a staff member, or an an instructor in your undergraduate days? 
So I, I was very fortunate because, you know, as a musician, you you get to take, uh, um, you know, you get to take private lessons on your instrument. Right. Um, and so I had a weekly meeting once a week. Every week I was in college with my with my instructor for my instrument. Um, and and he was, a, you know, a really wise uh, teacher. And um, and he taught me, you know, so much more than being a musician. You know, he really taught me um, about ethics, uh, about, about work ethic, uh, uh about, in a, you know, taking on a, a, an approach to life, um, and how your career fits into that. And, um, and, you know, to really understand what it means to devote yourself fully, uh, to something you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you could never, I, I, I can never repay that. Right. Um, I, I think that that, uh, you know, and I, and I had several teachers who were that way for me. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm like everybody where, you know, we're really lucky to have great teachers. And uh, but I, I I just I think back to that. I think that was a, a huge, a huge influence in my life. Um, and then you can't I mean, I, I, maybe I'm answering this. I'm giving you two two answers here. But the but the, the other piece of it would be I think you're right. I think that you don't realize at the time you're in college, the relationships that you're making and how those will carry with you the rest of your career. And uh, yeah. that's that's the other piece that I, I mean, just too many to too many to name. But I think sure. that that's a that's a, a it's a big part about going to college is that you just meet people. You meet people who are different than you. Uh, meet people from different backgrounds, different experiences, and and you get to learn from that. Yeah, and I, I think that's such an important point. We've had a number of guests on the show who have basically turned my question on its head and said, "No, I'm not going to name one person. I'm going to talk about lots of people." And I it, because I think that is that's such an important point. And I think we are in in, in a society where I mean, not just because of no COVID nineteen, but just generally speaking, we tend to sort of collectively isolate ourselves, right? And it's their isolating experiences. But college is that opportunity to be thrust into a new environment and to, to learn from so many different people and using the word different in lots of different ways. So um, I, I have to ask because I, I don't know, what instrument did you play? <laughs> uh, so I was a uh, trombone and euphonium player. Okay. So okay. Uh, okay. my instrument. So... Uh, and uh, you know it's, it's it's been great here to work uh, to get to meet our you know our music department, which has been uh, really fantastic. Uh, so I, 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 I it's 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 you know I, I still hold that very near to my heart. Sure. And if you attend their meetings, be sure to go to one where they have flavored bacon and coffee drinks. Uh, one meeting I, I went to, they, they 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 it was as if they just rolled out the spread, but I was told that was every meeting. So. Wow. Okay. Uh, the best, the, the the best catered uh, department meeting on campus. Um, so one last question for you. Uh, ask you know, you know, we people are looking for things, ways to escape from what's going on, maybe to get some relief, some respite. Uh, pick one and recommend something to listen to, something to read, uh, something to watch, or something for our listeners to do with their time. Hmm. Well, I. Uh, I, I would say, you know, we're in Wisconsin and it is now May and I'm, I'm, I'm looking outside right now and the sun is shining. I, I would say it's really important to, to safely, um, uh, but to, you know, to go outside and take a walk, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, um, I think that it's, it, it, I think that's, it's important. Uh, I think, you know, I try each day, um, 
to 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 you know that it's it's really important that you take a minute. It, it I think it's good for everyone's health to just get outside and uh, especially at these times. And so I, I guess if I had to pick one right now it would be it would be do uh, sure. and do and go go take a walk. That's what sure. I would say. Sure. Are you going to get the soccer ball out, kick around? It's a little bit nicer out, right? <laughs> I'm absolutely doing that. My son and I have plans this afternoon to uh, uh, to, to to go out uh, and, and and for sure. Uh, yeah. It's been a, it's been a, when when the weather allows. That's that's absolutely part of the routine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, baseball. This is finally turning into weather where we can you know it's more comfortable. It's no longer a basement sport. It's an outdoor sport. So. Well, uh, Chancellor Alexander, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate the time that you've given uh, us today. I know today was a busy day um, and that there's a lot going on, but I think you've given our listeners a, some valuable insights into where you see UWGB going and the strengths that we can build on on that journey. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, it, it's 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 really great to, to serve the students and faculty and staff at the, at the university. And thanks for doing this show. I think it's it's a, it's a great service. I've gotten to listen to clips and I didn't get to listen to the last one you did, but it's a, a few of the others I've gotten to listen to clips and it's, it's really great to hear the perspectives you're bringing on. Sure, thank you very much. So we come to the end of the show and we'll close with a quote that feels particularly apt given our current circumstances. The struggle you're in today is developing the strength you need for tomorrow. This is something I've been messaging more and more lately than I've been trying to do my best to think about to adopt this approach. It's of course easier said than done, but we've all been put through the ringer. And there are lessons to be learned in that struggle, things we did well, things we can improve upon, things we still have left to do. It requires a willingness to fail, the ability to reflect, and a squad surrounding us to help us through that process from start to finish and to begin again. It's why I'm so grateful for the people I work with and why I'm so committed to collaborating with them to design programs that create the same experience for students. Thanks for checking us out. You'll get that message week in and week out here on Phoenix Thriving. Hope you enjoyed today's episode with, with Chancellor Alexander. If you've got any questions out there, email me and strike up a conversation. Be sure to check us out on social media, at UWGB Thriving, both on Twitter and Facebook. Give us a follow and send us your thoughts on the show. And be sure to watch for future episodes. Each week, you can count upon this show to bring you unique perspectives, firsthand experiences, and advice you can put to use, use in your own educational journey. 